0: The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Welcome to season two of Students of Mind, the podcast where we aim to normalize conversations about mental health. Last season, we connected you with experts in the field of mental health to provide an understanding of topics and illnesses that may not have been easily accessible. This season, we will continue our learning journey together by not only speaking to experts, but also by listening to the voices and stories of real people who are living, surviving, and even thriving while also facing challenges with their mental health in their everyday life. This season, we want to hear your stories to get the full truth of what it's like to manage one's mental health and navigate living with mental illness. My name is Jade, and today I'm joined by Jasmine Orsted. Jasmine is here to share about being the victim of racist bullying, suing the school that mistreated her and so many other Black students, and the ways in which this journey affected her mental health. I hope by listening to the show, you're able to learn something new and gain some encouragement through hearing our experts and listening to the journeys of our guests. However, this show is not a substitute for professional advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your mental health professional or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have about your condition. Never disregard professional advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard on the students of mind podcast today's guest is jasmine orsted jasmine is a model brand ambassador athlete and mental health and anti-bullying speaker and advocate while preparing to try out for a college basketball team Jasmine experienced some intense bullying and discrimination from her teammates and school staff, leading ultimately to a lawsuit. Today, Jasmine shares her story and uses her experience to speak up against both bullying and racism. In our conversation, Jasmine details her journey from start to present, the mental health implications that she went through, and what it's been like to be able to have a voice and story that reaches many people. Good afternoon, Jasmine. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Thank you for the opportunity. Appreciate it. Of course. So
0: before we get into the topic and the nitty-gritty of everything, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and some of the work that you do?
1: So currently I um, do brand ambassador stuff like on the side, but my main goal is to continue talking about my story and sharing it with people, just letting them know that they can overcome bullying and prosper and they don't have to turn to self-harm or self-hate or anything of that nature and just ultimately I would like to have a non-profit that I can go into different communities and spread that knowledge.
0: Great so um, are you still in school now or have you finished?
1: I am not in school unfortunately I was playing ball and I uh, got hurt so I lost my scholarship but I do plan mm-hmm. on going back one day I'm only a couple uh, classes short of my psychology so gotta get that.
0: Oh, that's great that you're that you're close. Oh, so school. I was just gonna say, um, I also, uh, not in college, but I did dance in high school, and got injured and had to stop. And I just remember having that break because for me, I had been dancing for, since I was like three, and yeah. so having that break was like crazy for me to be like, wow, like. I can like rest like I don't (laughs) like I feel like I can rest for a second like I don't have to be in the dance studio because I literally am injured and can't um I just wonder like what that experience has been for you um like if you've played basketball for a long time what it's like like having to be kind of forced to take a break
1: um I mean for me just because like the situation prior like you know we're going to get into that but I wasn't allowed to play just because of my skin Um, the next year that I did get to play you know I was super excited and I was excited about school and everything and then I got hurt and it was kind of like darn you know but um, I think everything works out how it's supposed to so I know that I although I didn't want to have to take that break um, I definitely needed it and whenever I do get to go back to playing ball, whether that's uh, school, whether that's recreation, I'm going to give my all and it's going to make me appreciate it so much more. So I'm excited for that. Yeah, that's going to be really great.
0: Um, So let's just jump right into it. So I think I just want you to kind of, um, you know, you shared it with me a bit, but can you like share your story, go into as much detail as you want, take as much time as you want, but Um, share with us the story that you've, you know, you've been sharing and and are hoping to develop into something bigger.
1: All right. Well, you know, I have loved basketball since as far as I uh, can remember. So I um, graduated high school, but I didn't want to leave my parents. So I decided to um, go to a junior college so I could be near them, give basketball, um, you know, another go. And I set eight school records while I was at my junior college. Um, I was MVP. I was on the dean's list and president's list. And I knew that I wanted to continue um, in the game. And ultimately, I knew I wanted to go overseas and play ball. So I scouted out Division 3s. And I scouted out Division 3s because I knew Division 3, I could be All-American. So when I go and talk to an overseas coach and they see that I'm averaging you know, stats that I could average at a division three. Um, they'd be like, oh, okay, you know, let's give her a chance. So I found this school The name of it is uh, University of Mary Washington. And I had actually played against these girls in a summer league that I was, uh, went to every summer. So I saw face to face, like how we stacked up. So I was very confident. I talked to the coach and she told me all I had to do was get through two months of preseason and I would be allowed to try out. And given that, again, I had researched the statistics and I had better stats than the girls returning. There were some girls that had only scored two points the entire season prior. Um, I was like, okay, you know, I can definitely fit in here. I can definitely be the big fish in the little pond and I'll still be near my parents. So I was excited. Um, But from day one, it was a primarily white institution. There was 16 of us trying out and only 14 could make it and four of us were black so from day one um, we came into the gym and we were stretching and one of the white girls said to another white girl you know why do um black people name their kids the way they do and another white girl says well I don't know my high school wasn't in the ghetto um we only ever had one or two black girls on our team and that's the way I like it and that was day one and I'm like you know what is this is this get out is this like I'm so confused but it continued and it got worse and it was a divide that myself and another uh, young Black woman, she didn't go along or make the Black jokes, but the other two that did were the ones that were accepted. For instance, we had to go around a circle and tell things about ourselves. When it got to one of the um, white women, she said that her family had did a missionary trip in Haiti, which is a beautiful thing. Um, then another white woman responded and said, oh, so did you get a picture with a skinny, hungry Black boy? And all the girls fell on the ground laughing, including the other two um, Black girls, except for myself and um, the young woman's name is Caitlin that didn't go along with stuff. And that was the kind of culture they went with through. So, you know, I'm thinking the um, girl that had returned, you know, she would tell them, like, that's inappropriate, like, Black woman. Um, But when it got to her, she said, oh, if you trace my last name, it goes to my family's slave owner's. And again, all the girls fell on the ground laughing except for myself and Caitlin. So it progressed and there was a divide because again, Caitlin and I didn't go along with um, any of the black jokes or comments being made. And it came to a point where it was two of the girls' birthdays. So they wanted everybody to pay for alcohol. And I was underage. um, And I also knew the implications that if I do provide money for alcohol and then something happens because there was various rumors that girls would get drunk. And then when the cops were coming, like everybody would just have to run and you can never be in control of that situation. So I didn't give them any money for that. Um, but I did get like these huge birthday cards. I got the coaches assignment, it, the trainers, uh, one of the girls boyfriends, like just trying to show like I'm not going to go to your party because I don't drink. Um, but I am trying to be your friend. And Caitlin was younger, so she was thinking, you know, if I go to the party, um, I drink with them, then they're going to like me. So she went. Um, That following Monday, the coach called her in and said, I am not going to let you try out because the girls told me that you were doing underage drinking. You know, they didn't tell that they did it. They didn't tell that they provided the alcohol, just that she did it. So she wasn't allowed to try out. And she also said that um, they don't think that you fit in. And so... I knew at that point that they were going to try to do any and everything to get me. Cause had I drank, then that would have been me as well. So, so many situations came up where they tried to make me mad. Um, one time we had to go around the room and tell what our ethnicities were and they knew they saw my dad and they saw my mom pick me up and drop me off. So they created this situation just for me to get angry, but you know, they're going around the room and other girls are saying, you know, German, Irish, um, different things of that nature but when it gets to one of the other black girls she says oh well one of my parents is black but the other one is blurple like so dark they're purple and again everybody falls on ground laughing except for me so when they get to me I say my mom is African American and my dad is Norwegian and they said so he's European and I said yes so he's white and I said yes so your white daddy had a kid with a black woman and actually married her And I say, yes, because it was 2014 at the time, like, you know, interracial marriages relationship is not um, a unicorn on a blue moon. It's not, you know. So I said, yeah. And so half of them fell on the ground laughing and the other half looked like they wanted to throw up. But that whole situation was created for me to get angry and, you know, go off. And I didn't because I know, you know, navigating the world as a black woman As soon as I say something, it can get escalated into, oh, you're just an angry Black woman. You don't know how to control yourself. So throughout the situation, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, if I just keep being nice to you, you can't hate me. And, you know, my mom, older, much wiser, said, you know, Jazz, you can't think that if you're just, you're going to be so nice that you're going to overcome 20, 22, however many years old they are. of hate if it's been installed in them but you know I kept thinking that and then it got to the point where I was like well you know if I just keep getting better at basketball like they're gonna have to respect me on the court and want me on the team and again my mom's like well you still need to keep note of everything because nobody's gonna think oh jazz is so good I want her on the team instead of me but you know I was naive I was a 20 so another time um, we had to run a mile every week right and normally we would walk over there together and I had the latest get out time for um, class. I got out at two fifty and normally we met at three thirty to you know do our miles, do um, open gym, whatever the case may be. But on this day, the girls decided, um, you know, they would try to put another obstacle in my way. And they sent out a text at, like, 2.30 saying, well, we're going to have to start sprints at 3 o'clock, so whoever isn't there, we're going to have to report you to coach. And they knew I wouldn't see it till 2.50 and that I didn't have a car to drive the mile to get to the track. But I knew what was going on. It was after um, Caitlin was not allowed to try out, so... I saw the text and I'm like, you know, I'm not going to give them the opportunity to like say something negative about me. So I run out of class. I like sprint down the um, stairs and I'm like changing my clothes on the way to the track. And I get there and, you know, I'm out of breath because I'm carrying all my stuff and everything. And they're like, no, we have to do the mile now unless you want to wait and we have to tell coach. And I'm like, "Okay, no, 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 I'm just going to go. So I then run another mile. So then, you know, I'm tired and I like collapse on the bleachers. And I look up and all the girls have ran to their cars and they're leaving. And again, I'm naive. I'm like, oh, they must have like forgot. They don't see that I'm not in the cars with somebody. So I run to the side road and all of them just drive by me and leave me there. So then I have to walk another mile back to the campus and it starts raining and I get to the weight room and everybody's there and they're just looking at me like they're expecting me to break. And I didn't. But, you know, that was a type of mental anguish that they put me through. But I just kept thinking, you know, I get to the end of this. um, I'm going to be, I'm going to try out. I'm going to make it. And the coach is going to be around. So they're not going to be allowed to do these type of things or say these type of things. Or I'm going to be your teammate. So you have to respect me more than just somebody trying to walk on. Two weeks before tryouts, the coach calls me in and says, I'm not going to let you try out. And I'm confused because I'm like, you know, where is this coming from? And she says, well, the girls said that they don't want you to try out. And I told her, you know, that might be due to the fact that I'm not making nor laughing at uh, the black comments that are being made. And I'm not participating in underage drinking. And she told me good, bad or otherwise, right, wrong or otherwise, I'm going to go with them and not let you try out, despite me, you know, telling her everything that went on. So my family and I tried to go through the school. Um, We met with like different administrators and they just second, like they supported the coach. They said that, you know, we don't believe anything you're saying. And that was what she told me. She told me, you know, I've had a variety of girls over the years, so I don't believe anything that you're saying. And I ended up sneaking on campus and going to the library. And I found over the course of 14 years, she only ever had two black girls play for her. And she told me that was a variety. Unless you're counting brunettes, redheads, you know, uh, blondes, that's not a variety. But we tried to go through the school and they just said that they were going to stick beside the coach and that the girls wouldn't do these things. Even though I had text messages to prove everything, the girls ended up stalking me. Um, My mom had to call the school and tell them to stop that because if anything ever happened to me, like there would be consequences. And the last um, like real interaction I had was that same summer camp I mentioned in the beginning. They played in it the following summer where I wasn't allowed to try out. And only four of them actually played on a team. But the day that they were playing against my team, the whole team showed up they brought their friends their family wanting to see me lose even though you know they were the ones that had hurt me um and my team ended up winning by 20. So with a minute left all of the girls checked out of the game and left the gym their families included because they didn't want to shake my hand or see me win even though and you know I kind of thought like the after I wasn't allowed to try out and going through the school and everything didn't work out. And, um, division three, it's based on sportsmanship. So it's within their rules that you have to let somebody try out, even if they had never touched a basketball, much less coming from setting school records and whatnot. Um, I was really depressed. Um, there was a long point where, I didn't want to get out of bed. I just didn't want to eat. And I credit, you know, my mom getting me out of that funk and, you know, telling me, like, you're going to let them win. Like, you know, if you don't want to do basketball more anymore, you don't want to uh, pursue this. And that's fine. That's what you can do. But as of right now, this crying, this is not getting anything done. So then I worked hard knowing eventually, like, I'm going to have to play against them in a game. And, you know, I'm going to get my day on court. And so then when, you know, I won and you can't even shake my hand, like, that hurt because, you know, it's like still. But I ended up walking on at uh, Bowie State University. Go Bulldogs. Um, that's the high level, you know, D2 HBCU. I walked on. My parents told me, you know, we don't have, you know, money just to send you there because it was more expensive being out of state or whatnot. So they told me I had a semester to get a scholarship. And I did that. I got on the team. I got in the starting lineup. I got a scholarship. I got a 4.0. And, you know, it just gave me another chance to follow what I loved. And like I said, I ended up uh, getting the injury. But I know the injury had to come because since I wasn't able to go to school and practices, I had to focus on the lawsuit and we ended up uh, settling. So, you know, everything happens for a reason. And that's the story pretty much.
0: Wow, that's it's really amazing. Um I like a uh, first question I have is when like when did all of this happen? How long ago was this?
1: Uh 2014, 2015, so about 6-7 years.
0: So, I am just amazed by the urgency That you and your family had with dealing with the situation and being able to, like, um, you know, be in the moment and realize how messed up of a situation you were in, and then, you know, have the sense of urgency and agency to be like, okay, we can have, we can file a lawsuit about this. I feel like there's so many families that would have just left or who would have waited until. Their, their child finished schooling to go through with a lawsuit. So I think that's really amazing and brave that you guys were, like, so quick to do that. Um, Thank you. And I just wonder, like, that process, um, I can imagine, is a whole other level of stressful. Um, so what was the process of, like, dealing with the lawsuit
1: like? So... It officially began after um, the last meeting we had with the school when they told me I wasn't going to be allowed to try out. Um, and it was just kind of them like saying, like, you know, th- again, like we've had a variety of girls. And that is what led to me, you know, sneaking on campus. I put a wig on, I put a hoodie on, like just going through the different yearbooks, like trying to see, like, okay, have you had a variety? And then finding out that she went seven years without. Black person at all, and given this area of Virginia, it's very hard to see that not being intentional. Um, Again, given that it's Division Three, it's not like this is a high level of play. So part of the driving force for myself and, you know, my family was how many other black girls tried to go here and, you know, wanted to pursue their education and the love of all. And, you know, they could have qualified as far as like um, talent wise went, but because of their skin color, they weren't allowed to pursue it. Or they were like me, they didn't go along or make the black jokes that um, is a part of the culture there. And that was what really drove us. Um, But, you know, it was kind of slow, and steady. Um, when I was at Bowie, I really couldn't focus on it because, you know, you're having three practices a day. Um, my normal day was we would have practice at 6 a.m., which means, you know, you need to be there 5.40 a.m., the latest. And given I live in Woodbridge, that is an hour and a half away. At bed. You're, You know, you're from this area. You know, Baltimore, you know, that whole traffic is crazy. So, if I'm at best thinking an hour and a half, I need to leave, you know, maybe two-ish hours before that. So I would be leaving my house at like three in the morning, um, do two-hour practice. Then I have classes. And then we have another practice. And then you have to do your weights or your individual with um, a coach. And my last class would get out at 10 p.m. So then another hour and a half. And I'm at home at 1130, but you got to do homework. So there were a lot of days where I was just running on Starbucks, (laughs) you know, go three or four days without sleep. Um, so I couldn't focus on um, the lawsuit or anything outside of ball. But when I got injured, um, that was all I had to focus on. And that's why I'm saying, you know, my injury was necessary because I feel like the impact that this is going to be able to have on other people is greater than me just being able to finish that season. Um, but as far as the lawsuit it was it was a lot you know it's you know I think the main um, driving factor for well the main thing lawyers are supposed to do when you are suing is um trying to make you feel like what you feel is invalidated or it's has no ground to stand on so that was part of the mental thing like you know am I just being too sensitive like is it not this big a deal? But it is because at the end of the day, I wasn't allowed to do what I love, not because of my talent, because I didn't even get a tryout, not because of anything other than my skin and my refusal to make my skin the blunt of somebody's joke. So I would say like, that was the real tough part about it is like standing in my why and why this is important to me. Yeah, that's,
0: that's exactly what I was thinking. Like, I just know the nature of law is very much two sides trying to prove that they are right. And I can just imagine in a situation like this, that's so raw and vulnerable, having that mixed with something like law where the other side is trying to tell you that you're wrong can be taxing in a way that a lot of people have not experienced.
1: Yeah, it was just crazy, you know? And also for me, I came to realize that given the situation, there was no way that I would have been successful because the other young woman I mentioned that she didn't um, make or go along with the Black jokes, but she did end up drinking with them. She ended up uh, being stalked on campus as well. And there's this app, it's it's called Yik Yak, it's like an anonymous Twitter, but she received death threats and she was called the N-word. And it's like, the school didn't check into it. Um, so she ended up turning to drinking and drugs really bad and she flunked her classes. And so I tried to get her to join in a lawsuit with me. And the school met with her and her family and said, well, you know, if you wanna join with Jasmine, that's fine. But unfortunately we will have to contact the local authorities and let them know that, um, you know you broke the law and you have a record. But if you don't, we won't tell the local authorities and we will expunge your record, so the next college you go to won't have to know that you flunked out, which is illegal. Um, and they try to do the same thing with me, but I didn't flunk out, so it would have been no benefit to me. But then, when the state's attorney of Virginia um, got involved in a lawsuit, they said that it was my fault that the girls didn't get along with me because I didn't drink with them, and knowing that I was underage at the time. So you're advising me to do something illegal that you just held against the person that did the same thing. So yeah, it was just kind of, you know, mental stress to realize that, you know, in any given situation, um, I wasn't going to be able to win and wasn't going to uh, have been successful there. So that was part of it. But you know, really, I just wanted to leave an impact. And, you know, there were still parts of the lawsuit that I was hopeful that that could happen. Um, when it, initially the school wanted to settle, they wanted to give me 250000 and just walk away. And I said, no. I said, you know, give me no money. Just let me come back and play. Because I know if I come back and play, I'm going to break every single record they have. And it's going to be a Black girl that did it. And you can't take away from that. And they said no. <laughs> so we ended up uh, having to settle but part of that was they have to recruit girls have to recruit minorities more heavily and like I said it took her 14 years to have two black girls it's been six years since my lawsuit and they've had seven so you know that's kind of a win in my eyes because that might have been girls that otherwise wouldn't have been allowed to go and continue their dream and get their education. Well, wow, that's amazing.
0: I'm just, I, <laughs> I'm truly like amazed uh, by all of this, um, just because of the nature of bullying and racism and being a woman and college and having all of that come to a head with this is just, I, I'm just trying to hold so much space for you because I can just imagine how overwhelming that probably was in the moment. Um, and I, I wanted to ask, speaking more about just, you know, living as a black woman, when you went to this college, it was predominantly white. Had you had experiences um, like in institutions that were predominantly white prior to going to this college? Or was this kind of like your first time being in an environment like that?
1: Well, the area that I'm from in Woodbridge, it's a mixing pot of every country, everything you can imagine. But when I was younger, um, my mother and I had to move to Tennessee. She had to take care of my grandfather um, when he had cancer and she had cancer at the same time. And there, the Black community in that town makes up, I think, 3% of um, the population. So that was a very, uh, you know, it wasn't um, a lot of um, minorities there and in school. So that wasn't like, The situation at Mary Washington, I've definitely been on teams where I'm either the one or the two Black girl. But we didn't have issues like that on the team. You know, it was we're all different, but the love of basketball bonded, you know, all of us. Um, There were situations, but it was never I'm not given the opportunity to do something just because of my skin color or, you know, any type of like that was Never an issue. Um, And I'll say, you know, when you have to navigate the world or, you know, specifically um, white spaces as a black woman, you are reminded of that. You know, that's something you can't ignore, whether it's skin tone, whether it's hair texture, whether it's just the way we're shaped. Like, we know that we stick out, but it's when, and, you know, I know I'll, I'll say for myself, like, you tend to try to shrink yourself, but What I will not and never going to do is make myself the blunt of the joke just to fit in. Like, no, I can be great. I can be amazing. Um, As a Black woman, I don't have to be a joke for you to accept me. So I guess that was kind of, you know, what motivated me because I don't want any person to have any Black woman, any minority woman, anybody to think, well, for me to be accepted, I need to make myself, my ancestry, whatever, the um, blunt of somebody's joke.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're totally right. And I, I, I wonder what kind of some of the other mental health things that you were experiencing while you were in that space. And, you know, while you were experiencing the bullying, what, like, what kind of things were going through your
1: mind? And how were you coping with that? I would say, in the moment when I was still like, you know, thinking I could change them by being nice and, you know, getting better at ball. I wasn't trying to, like, really focus on hurting um, at the comments and everything. I just kept thinking, you know, love and uh, sunshine, you know, win the day. Um And it didn't. But it was after the fact that it's like, I'm really not going to be able to try out. I'm really not going to be able to do something I've, you know, you said you've done sports too. It becomes a part of your identity to have all of that washed away just because somebody said they don't want me to try out. And it's not founded on anything other than I'm not allowing you to make me a joke, make my parents make, you know, um, a punchline. It it messed with my mind. That's what I'm saying. Like, I didn't eat. I didn't want to leave bed. Like, I only left for classes um but outside of that nothing and I think that is why you know my mom ended up having to intervene because she could notice that within me like that's not my personality whatsoever I'm quiet for sure but I'm not withdrawn like that so I would say like I definitely probably would have went to a deeper and darker space like had my parents not involved and taken that initiative to be like okay no we need to get you to get focused back on ball or something else, whatever. You just got to get out of this hole. So my mom ended up making me do like modeling classes and make me get into acting, I guess, just to help like my self-image overall. And like, it definitely did help. And I would say like, that's what sparked me as well to like get back into ball. Like, you know, no, like you're not going to take this away from me. Like, no, I deserve this. I, everything, all these years I've put behind it and I didn't even get a tryout. Because it would have been a completely different game, you know, had I tried out and you said I didn't have ABC. That would have been life. But I didn't even get a tryout when it's mandated that you have to give somebody a tryout, you know. And I would also say, like, what got me out of that was, you know, my mom talking to me like, you know, how many other black girls do you think went through this? That they ended up just going walking away. They ended up saying you know, it's not that big a deal or, you know, I don't have to go to school or whatever the case may be. Cause for a lot of people, sports is what drives you to finish your education. The love for that. Um, what really got me out of that was like finding a why. And for me, why is always like better when it's motivated by other people and like the impact I can have on other people. So that, and then, you know, I tried different things. I got into yoga is cool, you know, but um, really, I would just say, like, you know, taking the time and um, even looking at statistics, like, there's all these different statistics out there when it comes to um, minorities and bullying and suicide and self-harm that it's just, like, I really want to do something to combat that, and, like, it started as, you know, let me see the impact that I can leave on this school, and I feel like I did that, but now it's, like, I want to do it on a bigger scale like I've been working on writing a book because I feel like I want to get my story out there and let people know that they can overcome but it's from 2001 to 2017 there was a study and they found that black male adolescent youth commit suicide at 60-ish percent more than in previous years and black female adolescent youth commit suicide at like 160 more and percent and it's like that's something we don't talk about I don't feel like mental health is prioritized within our community so that has to change because our youth is definitely feeling the side effects of that
0: and like even more in sports environments mental health is rarely talked about Exactly, um, and I I think the fact that kind of you're doing this all under like your passion for basketball is really important because I feel like a lot of um, specifically Black kids who go to college, go to college under, you know, the, the passion of their sport or, you know, it could be a sport, it could be art. That's what a lot of Black people end up kind of focusing on in college and then kind of the education comes after that. And then having those be spaces where mental health isn't prioritized is really dangerous. And then having all of these, all of us Black people in all of these predominantly white spaces without resources to help our mental health is extremely dangerous as well. So hearing you doing the work that you do makes me feel good because it's like <laughs> this is the type of work that needs to be done because we're like you're saying, you know, that was back in between 2001, 2017. But statistics like that are still happening today, especially since the pandemic. Exactly. Young black kids are killing themselves at way higher rates than other ethnicities. And no one's talking about it. And it's like, how can we not be talking about this? So I yes, I totally agree with everything you said. And I think it's, it's great that you're you're using your story to kind of contribute to, you know, this conversation.
1: Thank you. I definitely appreciate that. And, you know, again, following what you're saying, um, even when we get to like athletes like the NFL, like I cannot remember the statistic off of my head, but a lot of them, you know, once they lose that part of their identity, whether it's having to retire because of old age or injury, a lot of them turn to self-harm and suicide as well. So, There's definitely something that needs to be done and like to find that correlation and try to take out whatever factor it is or just try to combat it instead of just letting it progress because, you know, that's breaking apart families, that's taking away lives that could have been saved.
0: So quick follow-up question. Um, before college, had you experienced bullying bullying, whether it was like uh, like similar in that it was like race related or even if it wasn't race related? did you ever experience bullying before college?
1: So I would say there was two main things that happened um, when I was in high school. One was that, and uh, didn't involve me, but there was, there was this kid and he was just, you know, sitting outside of the lunchroom, reading his manga. And these kids just started throwing food at him and like calling him a loser. And it was just like, you know, it was my senior year. So I'm like, I don't know if these kids were freshmen. I don't understand how, you know, you could even think that that was okay. But I stopped them. Um, I told the school, and like for the rest of the year, my friends and I would eat with him to um you know like protect him from that happening again so like that didn't affect me but it didn't affect me directly but it did affect me in saying like you know this isn't okay like you know what if i hadn't have been there what if you know my friends hadn't have been there to intervene like you know what kind of long lasting effects would that have left on him um mentally emotionally all that but for myself there was this um i don't know if they still do it now But it's like this company that comes into um, malls and like they say that they want they're looking for models and they kind of just have you pay. And it's like you're not really supposed to pay when you're trying to get into modeling. But um, somebody had put my name and like my number into the box. So when I got a call from them, I was like, oh, my gosh, like somebody thought I was pretty and thought, um, I should be a model. And so I was like so happy, right? And like my parents were going to pay for it and everything because I was excited. I was, you know, and I was a huge fan of America's Next Top Model. Like I was probably a big fan. So um, then I was at school and I was like, yeah, like I'm going to get into this. Like once the season ends and somebody like pulled me to the side and they were like, you know, that was a joke, right? You know, like this whole time it's been a joke. And I was like, oh. I didn't know. So then it's like I had to tell my parents and yeah, that was embarrassing. (laughs) But, you know, life comes full circle because now like I do do modeling like as a side hustle. So, you know, it's fine. But um, just stuff like that. I think if we talk to kids and like we let them know, like you might think it's funny in the moment, but you never know what somebody has going on at home that that could really leave long lasting effects and really hurt them and how they see their self image, body image, just everything. So I'll say that's what I had to deal with. It's funny yeah. now, but definitely in the moment, not so much. Right. Yeah. Um, I guess I also
0: wonder, like, because with the situation when you were at college and, and the girls on the basketball team were bullying you, um, you didn't even have like the safety of a, t- of a coach who could intervene and you know, stop it and recognize that what they were doing was wrong. Whereas like, um, some people will have coaches who actually care. Um, And so I just wonder, I guess in that situation, did you have anyone that you could go to at the school to talk about this besides like your other teammate who is also black or like your parents? Um, Did you have anyone else there that you could like address the situation with and they would take it seriously?
1: Well, when we like first started talking to the administrators, um, I got an email from the lady that was the EEOC. So like, you know, she handles all like race or like gender um, issues on campus. And I Googled her and I saw she was black and I was like, okay, like, you know, she's going to understand this. Um, She's going to be the one to be like, we really need to take this as a serious matter. And then I saw that she was also employed as a teacher and my mom was like, you know, that's definitely conflicting because she's not going to be on your side. And we ended up getting in a meeting with her and my mom was correct. Again, you know, moms are always right. Um, Another situation that happened with the girls was um, two of the white girls came in and one of them said, oh, I feel so gross. I didn't shave. And then. Another white girl said, Well, don't feel bad because they, and she pointed at all of us, the black girls, never shave. And um, everybody started laughing. And one of the other black girls, like, referenced um, a woman that had played the year before and she was African. So she had, you know, a darker tone. She said, Oh, well, she never had to shave because she was so dark. And again, all the ground, girls found the ground laughing except for myself and the other girl. And so, the EOC lady brought it up and she said, you know, you definitely took that whole situation out of context. The white girls meant it as a compliment. Really, white women are jealous of black women because we don't have to shave as much. And they didn't mean it. They didn't mean it as a compliment. They meant it as a hygiene issue. They meant it as it looks you know, whatever it doesn't look appeasing to them, whatever the case may be. But at the very last thing, it was not um, a compliment. So, like, that was part of what I'm saying. Like, you know, they try to play, play those mind games and make you feel like whatever your issue is, is insignificant. So that was the other person on campus we tried to talk to. There was also um, the dean of students. And we talked to him. And that was who my mom called um, when I was being stalked by the girls, and he was like, well, please believe I'm going to be the most sympathetic person on campus you talk to. Um, and then we never heard it from him again. So I guess they figured the, he isn't the one that they need to be communicating with. Um, but I like outside of my family and he wasn't at the school. I did have somebody I could reach out to. Um, my coach from AU, his name is Coach Vernon. I always have to mention him because he's definitely like an angel. He was there like, you know, telling me like, you know what, at the end of the day, Jazz, like this is not going to be the end of the line for you. Like this is not going to be the end of your career. Like I guarantee you that. So he, his daughter like played overseas and everything. Like he would try to have me get workouts with her and just look out for me. And he would come to my games in buoy again, even though they're like two hours away. So I didn't have a resource there outside of, um, Caitlin, but, you know, I definitely did have angels looking out for me. I can say that for sure. Yeah. And
0: that's, that's great that you had that support. And I think, um, everything you just said just shows the, uh, need for more unbiased resources or people at schools. Um, so, Thinking about, you know, yourself now, I guess, let me ask a first question. Before everything that's happened, how much knowledge or like awareness did you have around managing your mental health?
1: I would say I probably wasn't really aware of it. Um, I knew I, I was happy, you know, I mean, everybody has down days and everything, but I think because you know I was studying psychology and was not an expert like I would notice like when you know I wasn't feeling good even if I didn't recognize it recognize it and you know that's when normally I would turn to basketball if it was basketball season or even just going to the pickup court like it would make me happy and then you know when I didn't want to do that and I just was lost in myself like I didn't notice the signs of You're probably depressed, Jazz, because you don't want to eat, and I love (laughs) to eat. I don't, you know, want to do any of the normal things. I don't have the energy to, like, get up. Um, That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm glad my parents stepped in. But I would say that um, it definitely made me had to be more aware. Um, Because beforehand, I really, you know, like, you know, bad things happen, but I had never just felt so... I guess, lost and just like, again, because I did everything right, other than not having the right skin tone. So I would just say that like, I wasn't because I hadn't went through like something traumatic like that. I wasn't really aware of needing to stay positive or finding an outlet or checking my mental health. Yeah. And you said
0: something that stuck out that is important, I think, for everyone to realize is that you said it was just because of your skin tone, which You know, it's 2021 and you would think that things have changed, but it's too common that we as Black people get treated awfully because of our skin. And I think the fact that such a seemingly small characteristic can amount to so much damage and so much pain um, and so many mental health implications... I'm
1: completely like agreeing with everything (laughs) you know you're saying because it's just like that's something you can't change um and it's like at the end of the day like why would you like you love it we love you know what we are skin tone all that but just short of bleaching you can't change that And even if you bleach like our characteristics like I'm still gonna have my nose I'm still gonna have everything that you can clearly see my hair is still gonna be the same so it's like you know, you can try to run from it, but at the end of the day, like, it's going to be obvious. So it's like, what can you do other than embrace it? And if embracing it, like, means the negativity, like, obviously, that's going to have, you know, effect on us. I think um, definitely mental health therapy, all that should be highlighted more within the Black community, because it's like a 24-hour trauma almost, you know? You can't really get away from it. Like you said, when you get to workspaces, everything, like, is always going to be that reminder that you're the Black person here or Black people, whatever, you know? And
0: and what's amazing about your story is that how you kind of adopted that mentality of, like, remaining in who you are and, and like you were saying earlier, not letting yourself become the, the butt of the joke. You were doing that, like, immediately, which is amazing. Um, and so I think your story... Which is why, like, it's so great to hear that you're writing a book, because I think your story can be a really good example of how, as Black women, we can carry ourselves. Like, your story shows that you can, you know, stay, like, in your own, not give in to being the butt of the joke, and then come out the other side You know, you you found a school that you like. You got to play basketball. Now you're doing things and and being able to share your story and reach so many people. So I just think your story is a great one to show success um, and show that you can stay in yourself as a black person and still achieve the things you want. But there may be, you know, bumps, hiccups, mountains in the way. But you got through it and I think as black people we need to see more of that and less. we see too much black people being demeaned or put down or shown that we're less than and we need to see more stories like yours where you are just assertive and that assertion amounts to success
1: thank you thank you I um you know I feel like this is like a responsibility that all of us as black people have, whether we like Mm. recognize it or not. Like when you, like, I know, you know, code switching definitely is a thing. Um, But when it comes to, you know, letting people touch your hair or comb it, like you're like pet it, like you're a pet or um, just thinking that the only way you can exist is to shrink yourself or, you know, be the person that, like, oh, yeah, I'm I'm the cool Black girl. Like, that means you can say the N-word. That means you can say whatever around me and it's going to be okay. Like, no, that is not who we have to be to exist, even, like, on a different scale. Like, was it last year or two years ago that now is finally legal that you cannot um, judge somebody based on their hair, whether that's locks or fro or whatever the case may be? Like, if we didn't have those people that said, You know, like, no, I don't have to wear a wig. I don't have to wear weave. I don't have to straighten my hair and to exist in these spaces. Like, I'm going to be me unapologetically. Like, if they didn't take the responsibility upon themselves, like, we would still be having to change our features and everything to exist. So I think this is a responsibility that all of us really have to um, take on, whether we want to or not, and whether we acknowledge it or we don't. But we are setting the standards for the Black community to come. Yes, I think that was
0: beautifully said. Um, And I think it's so true. And I think some people see that as like a burden or something to be overwhelmed by, which it can be overwhelming (laughs) at times. Mm -hmm. But I try to embrace it and see it as something positive as like we have the power to, you know, start these changes and break these cycles. So for me, it's more exciting than anything to, you know, be in the position of, having the responsibility to kind of initiate these changes.
1: Exactly. Um, You got to be the change that you want to see at the end of the day. So just got to step up to it. Great. So I
0: have two last questions. So I want to ask kind of just to like sum everything up. How has the experience from, you know, first meeting your potential teammates to settling for the lawsuit, how has that entire experience affect how you live now?
1: I guess just that I am important and even though I'm one voice, I can make a change, I would think before this, because you know, I was quiet and like I'm still quiet now, but I've had to be more outspoken, but I never would have thought that I could impact anybody outside of myself. And now... Like I said, like, you know, whether I realized it or not, like I did have the power to change something for the better for the next person. And I think that is what everybody's goal, like maybe not goal, but that is what my goal is, to you know, leave the world better than um how I found it. So I would say that is um really what it taught me and the importance of standing up for yourself because you're not just standing up for yourself in that type of situation. You're standing up for the next black girl that's going to come along or the ones before you that couldn't say anything. Cause, um, the Washington post, um, covered it, the root. I had like a lot of, um, Colin Kaepernick retweeted it. That was, that made me like super happy. Cause like, I think he's like an idol and, um, the L Hughley like covered it too. But I had people messaging me, um, on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, everything, whether it was the younger generation, like, saying, like, you know, I really didn't realize this still happened, Um, I'm glad you stood up, or it was people that were older saying, you know, back in my day, I couldn't have did anything. Um, So, like, I was glad to see that somebody else is. And I guess, I know I made it longer, but that's, like, I guess the important thing to me is now seeing that I can impact people and I can leave the world better than when I found it. I know I said I only had two questions, but...
0: (laughs) After hearing that, like, you've gotten all this coverage, um, and you've actually gotten feedback, what is that experience like, like, actually hearing people respond to all of the success that you've had and and the um, impact that you've had already?
1: What has that been like? That was just amazing. Like, the fact that people took the time to, you know, not only, like, acknowledge the pain that I went through, but say how it resonated with them and how it impacted them and made them feel good. Like if the situation, if a similar situation to them happened in the past, that it made them feel like, okay, but now the world is changing or they were going through a similar situation because I've had parents reach out to me about it or their kids are going through it. our um, kids knowing in the future, like, you know, if I come upon the situation that I don't just have to be okay, go along to get along, I can stand up. It just has been overwhelming. It um, was amazing. It just really like made my heart feel full, I guess, just to know that I can help somebody else out just by telling my truth. Great. Okay.
0: So lastly, how can my audience and I stay up to date with you and the work that you're doing?
1: You can reach me on Instagram, Jasmine Orsted, um, Facebook as well, Twitter. Um, they're all the same, just Jasmine Orsted. Thank you
0: so much for listening to this episode of Students of Mind. Jasmine's story is really amazing to me, so I was really excited to share this episode with you all. What you heard on the show today is actually a fraction of what Jasmine has had to endure in her lifetime so far, And I really appreciate her willingness to be so open about her story. Please be sure to look at the description of this episode. And there you can see how you can follow Jasmine. She's got a few things in the works. As you heard, she's working on a book. um, And that's one of many things. So you'll want to follow her in order to know when those things come out. As always, all of the links for the Students of Mind team's social media are in the description of the episode. Thank you again for listening. I hope you learned something new or resonated with something you heard today. And I will see you next time.